First Peter. We will be looking again at chapter 1 and finishing that up. We'll be starting in chapter 1, verse 22, and going through chapter 2, verse 10. As you make your way there, just we're reminded of what Peter has been talking about in this letter. He has been laying the foundation of the gospel. He's been speaking, you'll remember, to folks that are dealing with trials and tribulations and persecution. Many of them are fairly new believers who, they're struggling with this. They don't know how to handle it. And he begins the book by saying, remember what Christ has done for us. Remember his blessings towards us. Remember the work of the cross. Remember the work of the resurrection. Remember the great grace that has been bestowed upon you. Remember the great inheritance that has come your way. This week I've, I've been thinking about the fact that Christ did this incredible work. He did this incredible work by living a perfect life. And He went to the cross and He died and He was raised again. But we received the prize out of that. We received the prize out of that. What an amazing thing that is that he did on our behalf. Peter picks this theme up as he continues to address these new believers about the greatness of the grace of God and what it means for us and how we approach life because of it. And so, if you would, hopefully by now you found 1 Peter chapter 1. If you would stand with me as we read the Word of God, if you're able, that we may show it the honor and respect it deserves. 1 Peter, starting in chapter 1, verse 22, and we'll, like I said, we'll go through chapter 2, verse 10. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the, the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God, through Jesus Christ, for it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumbled because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness 
into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we are thankful, Lord, that we as believers have received mercy. Lord, we understand that our sin put us in a position of guilt, in a position of facing the consequences of that, and yet you extended your mercy towards us. Lord, we remember that once we were in darkness, trying to find our way, searching in this life for meaning and purpose, and finding none. Lord, that once we were orphans, once we were on our own, but now we have been brought in not only to the family, but we have been brought in as children of God. Lord, what marvelous things those are. What wonderful things those are. Father, I pray that our hearts would swell up, Lord, that that our our whole being, Lord, would not be able to contain our excitement over what you have done, Lord, and that it would, that would manifest itself in our, our actions and in our words, Lord, that others may see it and that others may proclaim your excellencies. Lord, we pray all of this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. As I said, Peter's been building up on this foundation of the gospel and what he's and what we have experienced as believers since the beginning of chapter one. But here in the end of the chapter, he introduces a new phrase, one that's maybe not unfamiliar to those of us that have grown up in the church, but it's a new phrase here in in First Peter. He says that we have been born again meaning that we are a new creation, that something has changed about us, that if we have put our faith and trust in Christ, that no longer are we the person that we once were, but now we are something new. Now we have really entered into life, whereas before we kind of stumbled around and kind of groped and searched for something, now we have found the, the treasure, as Jesus calls it in one of his parables. But he says that we were born again, not on our own, but we were born again by the Word. And you'll notice throughout this passage that the Word of God and Jesus Christ are used interchangeably. That's not a foreign concept either. If you go back and read John, the Gospel of John, and look at the first chapter, you're going to see the same thing, that John describes Jesus as the Word of God, that he's the eternal Word of God. And so you're going to see these two things interchangeable here in this passage as well. And so he begins to describe it. He says that you were born again by his word, and then he begins to describe this word of God. Look in verse 2 with me again real quick. It says, or sorry, verse 1, or sorry, let me back all the way up to chapter 1, looking in verse 23. It says, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. He tells us three things about this word that has made us new creatures, about the Savior that has saved us. First, he tells us that we are imper- that it, the word, that Christ, is imperishable. This is a call back, by the way, to earlier in the passage when he says that we were ransomed, but we were ransomed not with temporal things, not with short-lived things like gold and silver, but rather we were purchased with something eternal. We were purchased with the blood of the Lamb. 
We are purchased with the blood of the cross. He says we should hold value as those that are believers, as those these newborn Christians who are facing persecution. We should remember that we, the, the word that we were born again through, the, the salvation that we've been given, it's something that can never fade away, something that can never be taken away from us because it is eternal. He goes on to say, not only is the word that we have been saved by imperishable, but it is living. You'll remember Peter, he knew what he was talking about. He had seen the risen Christ on more than one occasion. He had been there when the disciples had had went back to fishing and the risen Christ appears to them and Christ kind of calls Peter back and says, do you really love me? And begins to remind him a little bit about about some things and, and setting forth on a mission. He was there in the room where that was locked when Christ appeared to them and invited them to touch the wounds. He had seen the risen Christ. And the resurrection means everything. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. Other translations translate it this way, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is worthless, and your faith is worthless. If we do not serve a living Christ, if he has not been resurrected, if he has not been raised from the dead, then this is worthless. What are we here? But that is not true, Peter says. Peter says we we serve a living Christ, a living sacrifice that is still with us, and therefore we can have excitement and have assurance of the resurrection to come. We can have assurance that this is not all there is. That what we do is not worthless, but rather it is of great value. He says, as you face persecution, as you face trials, as you face face this life, remember that the salvation that you've been granted was from a Savior who is eternal and a Savior that is living. You can know that it can never be taken away from you. You can know that it is assured, that it is guaranteed. But he also says that the Word is abiding. The Word is abiding. It's an ongoing presence. The Word and the Christ are an ongoing presence. Jesus Christ, as He spoke with His disciples, said, I'm going away, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you by yourself, but rather, I'm going to send a helper. Christ, in His human body could not be everywhere at once, but praise the Lord, we have the Holy Spirit who is with each one of us all the time. That we do not face the trials, the temptations, we do not face the persecution alone, we do not face the hardships of life alone, but rather Christ is with us always. Peter says, be encouraged by this. The, the salvation and the, the your means of salvation, it is eternal, it is imperishable, it is living, it has it is assured, it is guaranteed, and it is abiding, it is always with you. He has not abandoned you. But then in chapter two, Peter turns a little bit. He says, This is why you've been born again. He says, So so, since you've been born again, since you have this imperishable, living, and abiding salvation that has been bought for you, then this is what you should do. Because we've been born again to grow. We've been born again to grow. 
as children, as, as we understand that children are not born into this world to stay children forever. In fact, if they stay small, then there's a problem. Like we're constantly taking kids to doctors and saying, where are they at on the growth chart? Like we want to make sure they're growing. We want to make sure that they're, they're where they're supposed to be at developmentally. When we get to school, we're constantly testing them to make sure that they're where they're supposed to be for their age level and for their grade level. We want to see that happen. Peter's saying here, that's the same for you. When you're born again, you're spiritually immature. You're, you're children. He says, there's, but there should be a maturing process that happens. And he says, this is, so he gives us kind of the way that that happens or what that looks like. He says, first, put, a stuff, put some stuff away. Chapter 2, verse 1, he says, put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. He says, put all these things away. Children are dictated by their emotions, largely. I mean, children are just emotional people. J.D. Breer gives a great example here. He says, he, he describes his son at, at the age of about two. He says, you know, when my wife leaves the house to go grocery shopping, my son has a complete meltdown because mommy has law left forever. She's not coming back, right? And he, he doesn't understand time. He doesn't understand that things are short-lived. And so, man, everything is just this massive deal. You take a toy away from a little kid, and they just think the world has ended. Like, it's just completely emotional. And as we grow up, we begin to, we begin to understand, hey, mom hasn't gone away forever. She's coming back, okay? We're not gonna, she's not going to abandon me. We begin to understand that not having that toy for the moment and sharing is a good thing. We begin to mature, and, and we hopefully begin to mature emotionally, where not everything is just like on, on nerve endings. But that's what he's describing here. He says, when you were lost, before you were believers, you had all of these things, right? And you... You were jealous, and, and it was easy for you to, to get upset at another person. And it was emotionally based and because you were focused on the here and now. Like, that person stealing my glory, how dare they? How dare they try to en encroach on what I am? How dare, how dare they leave that behind? How, what are they doing? Or we begin to think that it's all about us, and so we exaggerate the truth, and we begin to make stories bigger than, than they should be. And, but it's all emotional because we want to feel good. Peter says, put that away. That's the kiddie, kiddie stuff. Stop doing that. Be, you're, you're being called into maturity. You're being called into holiness, into sanctification. You're being set apart. Put away the small stuff. Put away the small stuff. It's time for you to grow up. He goes on there and he says, there in verse 2, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. He says, put away the old stuff. Stop acting like a baby with all of your emotional wants and needs that cause you to sin, that cause you to look like the rest of the world, and grab on to spiritual milk. Now, this may be kind of different. This sounds kind of weird because just a, several weeks ago, uh, we had a message out of Hebrews that talked about stop drinking milk, you should be eating solid food. But we need to remember that Peter and the writer of Hebrews, that those two sections of Scripture are writing to two totally different people. The, in Hebrews, the audience, the original audience, were the, supposed to be older 
other Christians in the faith. They, they had been believers for a long time, and th- but they had not progressed. Peter is writing to new believers who desperately need milk. He's saying, grab hold of the basics. Grab hold of the, the gospel. Grab hold of the word of God. Grab hold of prayer. Learn how to do those things well. Lay that good foundation. And then we'll go on. Then you'll be prepared to build. Then you'll be prepared to face the temptations. Then you'll be prepared to face the hardships and the trials and the tests. But first, grab hold of this milk. And some of us need that. Some of you are new believers. And you you need to grab a hold of, of the basic things of God. And I'm so thankful. There's a few people in, in the, our congregation who they're fairly new believers and they'll ask me all kinds of questions and it's fantastic i love it and and we try our best to to work through those things and look at the word of god and see what he says about those things it's good there's nothing wrong with milk the problem is is that we get stuck in these questions we're born again and we just like to sit there we don't want to go any deeper we don't want to mature we're like those commercials, if, if you've seen, and I think I made this reference a, a few weeks ago too, but th- those commercials that Geico's doing right now, or, or one of the insurance companies doing right now, about not growing up, and the, you have the, the grown man in overalls, and he's sitting on a plane, and he's taking the trays, and he's stacking with them up and down, and it looks stupid. And it's supposed to. That's the point. Or the old man, he's like in his 50s, and he's got the rocker uniform, and he's got all the posters. Have you seen that one? And he's sitting... Old man in his 50s. Ah, that's him. I was like, I, I know that commercial's funny, but it's not that funny. Sorry. The older, middle-aged, not-so-old gentleman. Whatever. You get the idea. He's acting like a teenager. He's acting like he should not act. Sorry to those of you wearing the perfectly wonderful clothes. You're not old at all. But he's, he's acting like he shouldn't act. He never matured. He never moved out of his parents' house. He's still in there surrounded by all his posters and by all of his music, and he's still acting emotional. And it looks silly. It looks dumb. Paul Peter is encouraging these folks, and the writer of Hebrews is encouraging these folks. You've got to grow up. You've got to grow up. You've got to put other stuff behind you. you got to put the envy and the jealousy and the other stuff that, that the world does, that stuff's got to go away. you got to put away the old toys that you used to play with. It's time to mature. Drink the milk while you're young, yes. Drink the milk well. Lay the solid foundation of the gospel. But then we build upon that. Build upon that. In verse 4, it says, As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable God through Jesus Christ. He says, Put away that old stuff. We, We grow up. We lay that foundation of the milk. We lay that foundation of the gospel. And eventually, we've got to be building upon that. We've been given a cornerstone. We've been given that starting point. And now, God is adding to that. He's adding 
not only to us and, and building us up as we learn more about who he is, as we learn to trust and to rely on him more, but he's pulling us all together. Yet again, we see imagery in the New Testament of how the church is one unit. Christ talks about family. Paul talks about the body. Peter talks about a building, a temple made for the worship of God. And we come, we build together. We don't stay infants, but rather we grow. First John chapter 3, verse 12 through 14 says, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you've known him from the beginning. And I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. And you are able to overcome them. First John continues on with the teaching of Peter. And he says, grow up. He gives us all three kind of factors, all three stages in life. We're children, and we know the basics. We know that God has forgiven us, and that is good. If you don't know that God has forgiven you, then you can. Stop doubting that. If you're a believer, stop doubting that Christ forgave you. Stop doubting that He loves you. Stop doubting that grace and mercy have covered it. We come, I come, and I know believers who God bless them. They they stand there and they just think, well, I don't know that I'm I don't know that I'm forgiven. I don't know that I've done enough. It's it's not about me doing anything. It's about what he has done. Know that your sins are forgiven. Lay that foundation of the gospel. And then he says, young men, you're strong. You've overcome. No longer are you defenseless babies who are thrown about by, by gullibility and by this teaching and that teaching, but you have learned to grow strong. You've learned to, to plant your feet in the word of God, and now you can resist those temptations. And then he talks to the fathers to the to older men not so children and he says you're there you've known god you've known him for a long time have you ever had that relationship where you're you've been friends or and you come to a spot and you're like man i i feel like i've known them forever there, there's not been a time I, I i feel like that i haven't known them that they haven't been a part of my life he says those of you that are spiritually mature You've known the Father, it seems like, forever. You've learned to trust Him. You've learned that He is good. You've learned that He, that he is worth putting your feet upon, even in the hard times. You've learned how to go through the, the difficulty times of life by holding on to the living Word, by the abiding Word. He says, you, you've matured. But here's the thing. The role of a father, the role of a mature believer what? It's to be an example and to disciple those that are younger. It's to make sure that those that are children, that man, they're just they're just learning that God has forgiven them, to make sure that they don't just stay in that spot, but rather they grow in maturity, where they can stand on their own two feet and defend themselves with the Word of God. And praise the Lord that He puts us in a church context where all three of these folks exist. Lord willing, we should have a church where we have older, mature, battle-tested believers, and then we have some middle-aged 
teenage type believers who they can stand on their own feet, but there's times that they still kind of waver and they, they still need guidance. They still need mentors. And then we have the, the newborns who, praise the Lord, God has called them into the family and they've been saved. But man, they need a lot of questions answered. We need all three of those. That's the way the church is designed to be. This is why you go you go to some some churches and it's all young people and, and there's a lot of excitement there and there's a lot of energy there and that's that's not necessarily a bad thing, but you look around and there's no one there that's been battle tested. And the first hard thing that comes up, that church just splits apart. They don't know what to do because there's no one there to, to hold them together. Sometimes you go to a church and it's made up primarily of folks that are spiritually mature and they're battle-tested, but for whatever reason, whether it's disobedience or, or whatever the case, they, they don't have new believers in their midst and they lack some of that excitement. They lack some of that passion. It's good to have a balance. It's good to have, have it all. That's why we're a family. So, Peter says, not only do you have this salvation that you were born again by, born again to grow up. You're born again to mature. And not only that, but you're born again to Christ. Christ has done this marvelous work in your life, not so you can stay a baby, but so that you can mature in your faith. He's also done this marvelous work in your life so that you may be trained in faith. Look here at verse 6. It says, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying a stone cornerstone chosen and precious and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame so you honor and you who believe it's like what we talked about earlier listen to what Peter says the stone that he's talking about the cornerstone chosen and precious the one who believes in him him that's Christ that is the word of God he has done the work. He is the chosen one. He is the one who's been given honor. And yet, we share in it. It says that those who believe in him will not be put to shame. Verse 7 makes it clear. So the honor is for you who believe. Remember, this is spoken to a people that are facing persecution. Some of them are losing their lives because of their faith. Some of them are losing their occupations. Some of them are losing their ability to sustain and, and to help their families. Some of them are being beaten. Some of them are being thrown in prison. He says, remember that this salvation that you've been given means that the honor is yours. Okay, it's hard sometimes to remember sometimes when it's hard to remember.
for those that don't believe in the Constitution. For those that don't believe, that have never put their trust in Christ, there's destruction for the lost. He says there that this is what they reject in Jesus. They choose not to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You choose not to make Him the foundation and the cornerstone of your life. You are desperate for faith. You're desperate for it. Think about a house that's built without a good foundation. You think about a house that hasn't been prepared. The ground hasn't been prepared correctly. The concrete wasn't laid correctly. It may last for a few years. It may last for a decade. But eventually time is going to take its toll and it is destined to fade. Believer, where are friends? Where is your foundation? Where is your cornerstone? It's found out in the hard times. It's found out in the text that Peter talks about earlier in the chapter. Is it in your wisdom? Is it in your wit? Is it in your personality? Is it in your talents or your gifts? Is it in your generosity? Is it in your wealth? Is it in your goodness? We talked about this together today in our study that we had last week on Sunday. Dave Clyde and many of us know ourselves that I can be very poor high school student. But I'm sure our wives know that. Our hearts ache for other people. But if your foundation, if your cornerstone is on your goodness and not on the forgiveness and the lordship of Jesus Christ, then you are destined to fail because you will never measure up to the holiness and the righteousness of Christ. Because it only takes Jesus. It only takes one mistake to outweigh all of the good. Your goodness will not save you, only Christ. So he says there's honor for the believer, there's destruction for the lost, but he doesn't end here. He says you were born again with a purpose. Look there at verse 9. He says, but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Skip down a little bit. He says, you were once not a people, but now you are God's people. You once have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He says, you have been given it all. You have been given the grace and the mercy of God. You've been given eternity. You've been called from the light and now you can, or from the darkness, and now you can see because you're in the light. You can know what you've been searching for your whole life. He says, not only that, but you were an orphan. You were on your own, and now you've been called into a people with a heavenly father. He says, because of that, because you've been born again, because you've been given all of this, you've been given a purpose to proclaim his excellence. list of screwing up again. There's another commercial. <laughs> There's another commercial out there, and, and you've seen, actually, there's several of this brand, but it's an infomercial, right? And you have the MC who's hosting the thing, and then they always bring out who? They always bring out that individual who has tried the product, and it's changed their life. Hallelujah, this lotion cured my acne. Hallelujah, this grill helped me lose 150 pounds. 
right? And they are, they don't come out like sad, like, yeah, that took a drill. That's the thing that happened. Yeah, yeah no, that, that acne cream, that took a drill. No, they don't invite those people. The people they invite on, man, they are overjoyed. They're like, hallelujah, amen, I don't have acne anymore. I don't, I lost 140 pounds. You've got to buy this drill today. It will change everything about your life. We haven't cured something stiff in this life. We haven't just lost weight. We have lost the weight of eternity. We have lost all of the guilt of our sins. What we have is eternal. What we have is precious. What we have can never be taken away, and it is assured. And yet so often, how do we talk about that? That's a good question. get up and and we can sing loud even if it's not good and we don't care and we can stand on the corner street of the street and we can have a bullhorn and proclaim and there's other of us that our excited face looks just like our normal face and our normal face looks just like our sad face i get that okay i get that but in the best excited face you can manage we should be proclaiming never given their life to Jesus Christ to be tasted of his goodness. That's a question you only need to ask. I can't answer that for you. But I know I have. I know I've tasted it in the good times. I've tasted it in the hard times. What allows me to proclaim, what allows me what to get excited morning, if you've never tasted of His goodness, if you don't know that you've been forgiven of your sins, if you don't know what what it means to have a Heavenly Father, what it means to experience mercy, what it means to come into the light, if you don't know if, if you were to pass away this morning, 
You would walk out of here and no more time was left on your clock. You don't know what would happen after that. This morning, Christ extends to you the invitation of grace. We admit that we're sinners. We believe that he died for us, that he paid the price on our behalf. Confess that he is our Lord and our King. And through that, we can know salvation. We can know his gift. Believer, when you make a commitment today, I want to know his goodness again. I want to be reminded of that. I want to testify to that. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up. We're just going to have a time of response this morning. Maybe you've never known him, and this morning you want to have that relationship. And this morning you can know what it means to be born again, and, and we would love to talk to you about that. Grab us. Come to the front and grab me. We can talk about it. Maybe you need to come to the altar and just praise him. Maybe this morning you need to stand and, and sing praises in, in your most excited way. But this morning, don't allow the word of God to come and warn you about it. Let us respond to Father, we come before you, and Father, we are we are in awe of your work. Lord, we are in awe of the fact that you love us. We're in awe of the fact that while we were your enemies, you saved us. We're in awe of the fact that you are the living, abiding God who doesn't take his hand off of us, doesn't take his eyes off of us, but rather desires to to be a part of everything that's going on. Father, we are in awe of the fact that you use foolish things like preachers and preaching and foolish things like us to proclaim your excellencies. Lord, how much greater? Lord, I, I think, Lord, in my mind, there, there must be a million other ways to do this gospel thing. And Lord, yet you've cho- chosen to change us and then use us. Lord, I pray that we would not take that for granted. I pray that we would not just bury that. Father, I pray that.